Real quick before we start the show, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be awesome. November 10th and 11th, Santa Monica, California. Do hope to see you there. You can go to PacificBitcoin.com to buy tickets. Use promo code CAFE for a discount. In the words of Michael Saylor, it is going to be the Bitcoin event of the year. VIP gets you into everything, including the VIP party as well as the VIP rap party. Of course, GAA gets you all kinds of cool stuff as well, and there's going to be plenty of events and things to do. I hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Are there any other words that mean the same thing that you can use? Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. That's pretty witty. Similar. Wake up, everybody. How about, how about similar? Could we use similar instead? I can say that very easily. I mean, I literally have to stop and think about synonym, just like I have to stop and think about aluminum sometimes. I believe in you, Peter. You can do it. Or if you're British, you could say aluminium. I mean, I feel like I should become a protected class because of this speech impediment. <laughs> Does anybody have the the info on what synonym is meant to do? I haven't paid close attention, but I know John Carvalho's involved and he seems like a straight shooter. Yeah, I was curious about that too. Like, what does anybody know what it's supposed to do? Ant, maybe? Tomer, maybe? I don't know a ton about it. It's his DID system that he's working on. And it's got um, like a wallet and some other stuff. I haven't given it a big, huge dive. I don't really follow that dude too much. Maybe we should have him on the show. Apparently, BTC Sessions and uh, Igor... Um, are trying out the beta version. Sounds, cool. like, sounds like competition for uh, who was in the other day um, with the browser. Impervious. Impervious. Yeah, thank you. It sounds like something along the similar lines. I think having John in here for uh, Spaces One Day would be highly educational for all those who are interested. Yeah, a lot of people are working on this DID thing from different from different angles, and you know, you've got uh, Jack's Web Five stuff, and you know, um, Microsoft has the DID thing that they've been working on, and you know, John's thing. There's a lot of different things. You know, the the idea the that impervious you can, AI uses DIDs as well for your identity. Exactly. 
the idea that you don't have to log into websites and things like this. Morning, guys. I, I can talk a little bit. I actually downloaded the beta this morning and played around with it. So, um, so there's this app called, so Synonym is like the umbrella company for like a couple of different products. Uh, what came out was something called BitKit, which is this mobile app for iOS and Android. It's, it's in beta now. And it, it, what, <laughs> what I've played with it so far is that there's an on-chain wallet as part of it with the 12 word feed seed phrase, you know, what you're used to. What's cool about it is you can connect it to your own Electrum server so you can use your own node. And there's full UTXO control, so you could pick, uh, you know, what uh, your outputs get combined for privacy purposes, which is pretty cool too. And it looks like the lightning part of it is going to be um, sort of tied at the hip to Block Tank, which is Synonym's lightning liquidity service, but that isn't going to be available in the United States, is my understanding. So I'm not exactly sure what that's going to mean for U.S. people, but that's just what I've played with this morning. That's curious. That is not available in the U.S. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. I wonder why they would make that choice. I'm sure there's a good reason. I'm just curious about what it is. Well, we don't know if it's a good reason, but there's a reason. Well, it'll, it'll probably have to do with something, uh, something have to do with uh, wanting to avoid regulatory entanglement in the United States. I know there's, I mean, there's companies that make conscious decisions to not allow U.S. citizens to be part of their customer base so that they can avoid having the U.S. claim that they're, you know, whatever. You mean, you mean like KY, AML, KYC? Well, yeah, I mean, there's that, um, you know. Not just AML KYC, like sometimes the U.S. uses, if you serve a U.S. customer, the U.S. uses that as an excuse to claim extra jurisdictional um, authority over non-U.S. entities. Yeah, I know that it's, they're incorporated in the Virgin Islands or the British Virgin Islands, something like that, something, you know, some weird offset jurisdiction, but the... Um, they probably don't know about like there's regulatory uncertainty when it comes to providing liquidity. Like what does that even mean in the terms of regulation? So that's my guess also. Yeah. So if there's any chance that, you know, some entity could get caught up, uh, you know, by maybe the SEC or some other, regulatory body in the United States that says, hey, you're you're selling investment products to United States citizens or whatever the case may be. I mean, there's a lot of potential uh, landmines for foreign companies doing that. Now, what's interesting is this block tank service is going to, at some point, supposedly, I read this today on their GitHub page, uh, be open source. So folks like that have a lot of Bitcoin at home, that have a Lightning Node at home, can use this infrastructure to sell liquidity themselves, which is kind of interesting. And then they also said in the future, you'll be able to connect your BitKit wallet, which we're beta testing this morning, uh, to your Lightning Node directly. So that'll be interesting if uh, that comes to fruition. So that would be a similar functionality to something like Zeus in that case. But that is not out yet. But they mentioned that on their GitHub page. What's the base use? Like I'm trying to wrap my mind around what, what do you use this for? 
Yeah, so if you're running your node at home uh, on your own computer and you're out out on the go and you want to buy a coffee on the go on the other side of the planet, you can use an app to essentially spend funds directly from your node at home. It's that sort of connectivity. Oh, that's kind of cool. So in other words, you're your own bank using Lightning the same way you're your own bank using your own node sending Bitcoin. Yep. So instead of your node running on your phone, draining your battery like crazy, which was kind of like the first generation of Lightning wallets, you just remote into a, a computer that is doing it for you. Got it. All right, cool. Uh, good morning, everyone. Cafe Bitcoin, episode 208. Pacific Bitcoin is now 10 days away. It's not too late. If you're sitting on the fence, worth I'm looking at you, bro. <laughs> uh, I'm just messing with you. Good morning, Worth. Good morning. Um, all right. 14 years ago today, Satoshi released the Bitcoin white paper, and the world was never the same. Uh, hey, Alex, real quick, before uh, before you get into that topic, because I wanted to say something about the last topic, I I have an extra ticket for anybody who's interested, so DM me, uh, Worth. That's maybe for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Extra GA or extra VIP? Yeah, GA. Sorry, I, I can't do the VIP stuff. <laughs> no, I bought okay. a ticket, and then I volunteered to help, so they gave me another ticket. So, Thanks. you know, I, I could give it away. I could sell it really cheap. So if somebody's going to get a deal, if they hit me up. There you go. I heard, uh, you know, looking at like a lot of the quotes and stuff that came out of the Plan B Lugano conference, that looked like it was really successful. So they had that gal from the Mexican government over there. They had um, that gal from El Salvador. I can't remember her name, but she's basically the ambassador. Um, and just, uh, it sounds like uh, it was pretty amazing. Like, amazing in in discussing like important ramifications for the human race and then also adoption um mike good morning morning guys um sorry for if there's background noise i just started some laundry <laughs> um I, but but before you get into talking about um the whole bitcoin white paper anniversary stuff i also wanted to just plug i put it up in the nest that um me and a couple guys had I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, had put together what we called the Declaration of Monetary Independence. Um, just kind of put together a lot of uh, American kind of patriotism and freedom in protecting privacy and all that stuff. So if you guys are interested, um, we did publish it on this same anniversary for the same reason of the white paper anniversary. So it just might interest anybody that's in the audience right now. Well, that's cool. I didn't know you were one of the you were one of the co-authors on that. That's really neat. Yeah, we uh, we intended to keep that um, pretty quiet for a while, but then we I think in our exuberance and our excitement, we kind of just let it slip on accident, like only a couple weeks later. So, yeah, it's out there. Oh, so uh, Alex, if I can just say real quick, uh, and Mikey, I think you can confirm that Ulrich uh, at um, Koba Duran is uh, he was also part of that, right? And he's yes. he's actually helped. Yeah, and he's helping out at the pleb party. Um, so that's funny. I didn't know you were part of it either, Mike. 
yeah, working with Ulrich and uh, the third author was was a lot of fun. Is the third author still unnamed? He prefers to stay unnamed um, just to kind of, he, he likes to really leverage his privacy and make sure his family's like protected and anything from any sort of ramifications um, that could have come out of that, making that document. You never know. Yeah, you never know. I mean, oh, you come never on, know. Let's be real. Mike just wants to keep the mystery alive. Well, I mean, there could be, I, I was the marketing manager for, for Great American Mining, right? So like, there could be a little bit of the mysteriousness that would help with that, sure. You guys want to pay some homage to the Satoshi White Paper? Does anybody have any thoughts they want to share? Uh, I would say uh, thanks, Scott, for the White Paper. Tomer, I, I would think that you would have something to share on this topic. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a, like a five foot, like a sixty-five inch TV sized version of the wall, white paper I hang up on my wall in my office. So yeah, I I just remember the first time I read it because uh, a friend had told me, "Oh, you've got to hear about this Bitcoin thing. It's money that exists only on the internet. It's not issued by any government." It's got a hard cap. You probably said a few of those things. And uh, and it turned out to be this readable piece of computer science philosophy uh, that I understood enough to, to know, wow, there's something really profound here. This feels like the Declaration of Independence. This feels incredibly important. And, uh, and it was, for me, like so many other people, the beginning of the, the tumbling down the rabbit hole. Uh, then you get the software, you install it, you start to run it, you start to see what's happening. And and you start probing into these different areas and, and wanting to learn more and more. So I, th I think the, the white paper, it represents the original entry to the rabbit hole for anybody, right? aside from Satoshi, the people who received it on the various cryptography mailing lists that it was distributed on. This would have been the first time anyone would have heard of Bitcoin and offered a very concise and flawlessly written explanation of what this uh, of what this idea was, and it wasn't. And it obviously, didn't talk about price, and it didn't talk about speculation, and it, it just talked about how this thing would operate and how it would be a peer-to-peer -peer piece of software, completely decentralized, without any leaders, and it had. Such, and like, what's so important to remember is. This hadn't been run in practice. Like the software wasn't even released. If anything, maybe Satoshi by himself was running some tests of it. But he had figured out enough to know about why it would be secure against mining attacks and what the statistics would look like. And it was just such a remarkable work of um, practical theory development. Right? Like here's something that he's developed in theory and thought about it in a very practical way. And I, I think that still to this day. Whenever you hear of all these other projects coming up and you think, boy, these people haven't thought of the second order effects of what they're proposing. You know, like they're, there's all these people talking about various various ways in which Bitcoin or crypto should be regulated right now. And you, you hear every one of their ideas and you say, well, that's going to instantly lead to the fiat problems that we all have because you're going to put somebody in charge of 
part A, B, or C of this thing, and that's just going to lead to people having to hire professionals and having an elite class and all this. And Satoshi had saw, thought it all through in theory, and it worked in practice. And that, to me, was just, I, I think that's still to this day why he's so brilliant and why so many other people in this space who think they're so, they're so smart don't hold a candle to what he achieved because they're constantly changing everything that they did because it didn't work out the way that they thought it would. And here he thought how it would work and put it out in the world. And it does work the way he thought it would. And to the point where he doesn't even have to be present. So just really um, so profoundly extraordinary and in so many different ways. I don't know what else to say, but I could, I, like, I could, I could take it for the whole two hours, but I, I won't, I'll stop there. I'd like to just chime in real quick. Uh, I, I think about, so I wasn't around for the beginning of all this. I've been involved in Bitcoin almost six years now. And uh, so I had to learn about all the history. And it seems to me that even though he had the, the thing figured out quite well, there was a good amount of time where it could have been squashed or it could have been broken. Certainly when he left, there were some bad actors that we all know about that wanted to send it in directions that other smarter people knew it, it shouldn't go. And I think we were very fortunate that there was the very first people who looked at it, understood it very deeply and understood what it could be. And we, again, we were fortunate as a community to have some very smart people disseminate their perspective to us regular folks who can't read, uh, you know, the math behind cryptography and that kind of stuff. And it's almost like we've been slightly ahead of the adversary the whole time. The, the network got bootstrapped by enough of the right people. Silk Road came along and, and created a market for the use of Bitcoin as money. Uh, some serendipity there, you know, like nobody, I don't know that Satoshi could have predicted that specifically, but I think it helped. And, because of the, the smarter people in the community paying attention and staying ahead, pr promoting, educating. You know, when I got into this space, I couldn't tell the difference between Bitcoins and shitcoin. But there was enough smart people out there that had already put that information out and I was able to find it. And so I was able to see the bigger picture uh, coming from a construction background. What do I know about this stuff? But I was able to see the bigger picture. I think all of us are, are blessed and benefited by enough smart people that stuck it out to help us learn what this the importance of this Bitcoin white paper actually is. And I think we're over the hump to the point where this system works on its own now, something that I believe Satoshi knew had to happen, part of the reason he left. But again, when he left, there was no guarantee it was going to get to where it is today. So I think we're very fortunate that there was some other people alongside Satoshi that helped us learn what this was. One of the things that's striking to me is just for all of the game-changing aspects and, and everything that's, you know, in this complex machine that we've all come to love, it's it's only nine pages. It's pretty brief. And as Tomer says, easy to read. Uh, you don't have to be a computer science major to, to, you know, infer the value from the system by, you know, from the thoughts in the paper. And uh, Jameson Lopp, you know, he, he tracks an interesting metric around uh, proliferation of the white paper online. And I saw a tweet where he had showing like October 31st, 2020, 
the Bitcoin white paper was hosted on over 740 websites and was cited by over 12,425 scholarly articles. And so today he posted again uh, that now it's 1,300 webs on over 1,300 websites that the white papers hosted and it's been cited on over 23,000 scholarly articles. So it's interesting, you know, this this document that Satoshi released unto the world and it just keeps proliferating even when people try to copyright it <laughs> like it's still still heading around. I, I am uh, uh, still saddened about the UK and Bitcoin.org and all that stuff around the copyrights, but very happy to see the white paper all around the Internet. I mean, it's even being hosted by the US government's websites and stuff. It's pretty amazing. Edward Snowden just tweeted it out. Good, Peter. So, um, well, being Jewish, I guess it's appropriate that I'm going to be the 10th man here. Um, my, you know, I think it was Beauty on that coined the phrase uh, Bitcoin is and that is enough. And I'm curious to know what some of the deeper thinkers on the panel think about, you know, in in 2200. Will the white paper be like Tomer kind of alluded to the like the Constitution of the United States, a, a, a document that is still revered and still alive and doing what it does? Or um, as Bitcoin becomes just is and, you know, we, we don't we don't really I don't think we have the 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 real history of why somebody decided that gold was going to be you know, what it, what it became. Um, and the only reason I think that we look back to the origins of fiat is because of the problems that it causes. So I guess that's my question is in, in the future in 2200, will Bitcoin just be and and the white paper will, will fade away much like Satoshi did. Well, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, because I think the question is in the context of even if Bitcoin is still around, do people appreciate and understand its roots at that point in time? I, so I'm going to speculate because, of course, well, I'm not a time traveler and I haven't been to the year 2200. But I think that um, for a lot of people, it would likely still be as important as the Bill of Rights is today to so many Americans who point to it as the ideals behind the principles of a nation and can see when things are aligned and misaligned with the ideals. I, I think what makes Bitcoin unique is that it did come into existence at a point in time when everything is monitored and documented. It's after, so we can see, we will have a very accurate record of its history the history of its development, the challenges, all of these aspects. And as you say, we don't really have them with gold. And fiat will likely end up being remembered as a very short period in history, even though for all of us, it's most of our lifetimes. It's something that will have only been around for a lifetime. And uh, and we can see how it how it's coming apart. So we So the history of Bitcoin, I think, will... Uh, will remain relevant. It, not that everyone will have to study it. You, know, you don't need to read the white paper to use Bitcoin. You don't need to know what the principles behind it are to use it. 
but it's they're they're all very important. And and again, I think part of what it represents for now and for quite a while still to come is it's there were so many ideas in it in this Bitcoin white paper that were the first time they were shown that these ideas were more than just mere ideas, more than wishful thinking. You know, digital scarcity. When we, we'd had the computer for a hundred years, pretty much. And we'd had the digital age, you know, since the PC, since at least the early 80s. And uh, digital scarcity was not thought to be possible. There was always going to be some kind of hack. And lo and behold, Satoshi managed to flip the easiness of reproducing information uh, to weave it in together with the difficulty of guessing a very large number and and thus creating uh, digital scarcity out of, out of that. So there, there's quite a few concepts in, inside the Bitcoin white paper that I think are are going to be immortal and it will be the point of origin of those things. People say, oh, the first time anybody demonstrated that these things could exist and should exist was in the Bitcoin white paper. So I think it becomes a historic document for that reason. It's interesting. Pete Rizzo has a tweet thread out today where he compares um, the Bitcoin white paper to other documents in its length. And unsurprisingly, he chooses the Magna Carta and the Bill of Rights, like two of the most historic and important governance documents ever to compare it to. He doesn't compare it to a famous poem by Edgar Allan Poe or a soliloquy by William Shakespeare. He compares it to these documents that lasted for hundreds of years and represented a leap forward in human freedom. I, I want to just say it's hard to overstate the importance of the white paper. Uh, such a small amount of pages that actually gave us a recipe to uh, free humanity probably for as long as there'll be humans around, right? Um, to avoid that central banks uh, steal value from us. Um, yeah, it's it's what a phenomenal piece of paper, not only saying you know not only a declaration of of freedom but the recipe it's and it's playing out like this it's so historic that we get to watch this it's uh it is it's a major point in human history bitcoin white paper and and the implementation that we're seeing right now and hey bitcoin is not a 25 million dollars yet a piece we, we, we actually get a chance to ride this revolution which is a peaceful revolution yet the most important ever in my opinion jump in there hobert oh sorry guys i wasn't looking at my phone um i wanted to just chime in uh real quick to also um really kind of plug that like while i i am a, a massive like macro like bitcoin bull and everything um it is important to keep in mind that while this technology is also like we all agree is going to it helps with pre preserving individual rights and privacies and freedoms. Um, it's not an end all be all solution and it's not an um, omnip omnipotent or omniscient solution. Um, the reason I say this is because if I recommend I think worth might have been the one that recommended this to me, but I recommend everybody go watch the YouTube video. Every war is a banker's war because the founding fathers of the United States of America saw these exact issues that we're dealing with now. Um, and all it took was for their generation to really kind of die off. And they 
the the whole system in general still perverted the whole financial system to the point of where we ended up producing the problems that they were already concerned with and very like well educated on like the likelihood of them being implemented and the effects that it would have that we are seeing play out now. So just because Bitcoin is this revolutionary technology for freedom doesn't mean there isn't the possibility of it being tainted either one or two generations um, disconnected into the future. So like it, it's important that uh, the rest of us all like become effective teachers and leaders and really make sure that everybody from our age groups on down to the children that we help raise over the next couple of decades, they, they really need to understand the importance of this technology and the importance of the defense of individual rights, freedoms, and privacies. Which means that I, all I'm saying is that we're like, the work isn't done um, and it won't be done for a very long time. So like strap in and get the work. All right. Well, if no more comments about the white paper, we can move on to some other stuff. Real quick, Alex, um, for such a simple paper and um, essentially a relatively simple system in, in terms of what it does, it has incredibly profound effects around the world, as we're starting to see, to, to uh, add to what Mike just said. Um, Bitcoin is, is going to affect everybody on the planet. It started from nine pages of of information that could show some people how to make a better money for everybody. It's pretty amazing when you really consider the, the, the scope of what those nine pages are going to do to humanity as time unfolds. So that's, that's my last one. Thank you. Yeah. It'll end up in history as one of the most important documents ever written by a human being probably. Just maybe <laughs> since we are going on it's not, I mean, this is the document that describes a functioning system that was actually put into practice that doesn't have disagreement about how it ought to have been put into practice. So it's one thing to have a constitution of a country or a law or a philosophy like capitalism or socialism or anarchism, and then, and then try to put those things into practice. But what you see is every advocate for whether it's capitalism or socialism or anarchy when you point to something in reality and say, well, look at what's happened, they all say, well, that isn't real socialism. That isn't real capitalism. That isn't real anarchy. None of us are standing here saying that isn't real Bitcoin. And we're not, there isn't a distinction between the ideal and what's happening in practice. And I think that's another first in history. Right? Like we all are saying this is Bitcoin and it is what we're after. Whereas there's always been disagreement about everything else because because it hasn't been specified as clearly or because it hasn't been able to be consistently followed through because it has some vulnerabilities that corrupt it. Socialism, we see, gets corrupted by elites very quickly. Capitalism gradually turns into cronyism as more and more regulation takes place. Bitcoin, at least still 13 years in, is very pure and everyone who is a Bitcoiner uh, isn't arguing, well, that's not the real Bitcoin. I want something else. We, we have another term for people who, who, have, who, have, who haven't want something else. But amongst Bitcoiners, we're not, we're not idealists who are pushing for something different than what is and making excuses for why what is isn't 
what <laughs> we're pushing for. Um, the, and I think that's why it's so removed from academia, because in academia, you have all these ivory tower individuals with some ideal in their head that doesn't reflect reality. And, and they can't take it. They can't stand the fact that this is an ideal in reality, or it's, it works in reality sufficiently that we don't need people to uh, tell everybody else what it would be like if it were only implemented correctly. The other thing that I would say before we leave it is just as much as everybody uh, evangelizes the white paper, you know, as we should for what it is and what it, you know, means uh, for everyone uh, and Bitcoin. The Bitcoin that we know today uh, has changed quite a bit from that white paper's uh, description. There's been a lot of work since then. There's a lot of things that aren't that exist in Bitcoin today that aren't uh, described in the white paper. So it's it. I I don't think that I mean if Bitcoin's still here in twenty two hundred, that the white paper just like fades into obscurity. But it's important to remember that this is kind of a living document. It's still going. It's not ossified yet, so to speak. Really, it can't. I mean, we have twenty one oh six coming up. If you think about the difference between where we are today with the internet and all the protocol layers and all the technologies that are built on the base layer of the internet. It's if Bitcoin adoption and additional layers and technologies and protocols are built on top of it, it's very possible. We have no idea what it's going to look like a hundred years from now. I mean, the base layer will be the base layer, but everything else that it enables this is very, I mean, it's impossible to say who knew that we'd be where we are today, talking to each other on this app. It's a great time to be alive though, guys. It's a very important time in history, I think. Could not right. agree more with that. Some other stuff that's going on. Um, inflation is a thing. It's not just in the United States of America. It's global. Um, Aust Australia has hit record inflation numbers. I guess it's 7.3% size. It's been in 32 years. And then I guess in the UK, all this kind of stuff is hitting people pretty hard. The number of people, what they call sleeping rough, meaning, meaning homeless. It's gone up 24% in a year. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, there are outreach teams that kind of go around and, you know, they try to make sure these folks are taken care of or whatever. But apparently there's 35% more now than at the same time last year. These are new, new people that apparently have lost their lost their homes or lost their places to live. And the cost of the rent increases and uh, apparently the cost of power has led people to not want to try to go back. Even people who have an opportunity to try to go back, they're like, nah, I'm not gonna, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's possible. That's pretty... Pretty mind-blowing stuff. Big changes afoot. 
I think it's important that we're all, we all continue, especially, you know, it's really easy to forget people that fall off the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. I think it's important we don't forget. And we remember what these knuckleheads are doing. <clears throat> and we and we continue to to stay on the mission. So when I say the knuckleheads, this is what I mean. We've got three clips prepared for you. <laughs> they got no, no problem printing the money when they want to spend it. But when it comes to taking responsibility for what they've done, this is what they do. Roll it. And the fact is, is that uh, when I hear people talk about inflation, as I heard him there, we have to change that subject. Inflation is a global phenomenon. phenomenon. Yes. The EU, the European Union, the UK, the British have higher inflation rate than we do here. It's not, the fight is not about inflation. It's about the cost of living. You just got to change the subject and stop talking about it because everybody has worse inflation than we do, right? Mike, um, it was. I'm, I'm probably going to say this at the end of each of these clips, but um, fuck these people. <laughs> yeah, it's not about inflation. It's about the cost of what the fuck does she think is like the inflation is measuring? Well, if you have inside information and can trade in that, and uh, therefore have more than a hundred million dollars, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Well, I'm with you, Mike. Obviously. And if you are part of that privileged few who are uh, benefited by being closest to that money printer, then you have entire sub-zero freezers full of fucking ice cream and your life is not being impacted by that shit. Jim? That is a beautiful analogy. That's the way you can understand wealth. If you have ice cream for a lifetime, you're set. I love it, Alex. It is a known fact that um, if you can just survive off ice cream, it is the most nutrient-dense food source out there. You sure about that? That was very, very thick with three or four C's sarcasm. Okay. Uh, Alex, Appreciate it. Follow, follow the science, Alex. There has been commercial science paid for by the ice cream companies that have status this. So follow the science, please. You thought Big Pharma was bad. The ice cream conspiracy theory is deep. Big ice cream. <laughs> Jim, do you have something to add here? Well, Nancy's probably a little rattled when she found out her husband is into... Oh, God. Gay, gay porn. Um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> maybe that's why she couldn't articulate herself well. But, you know, really one of the major, major problems we see here all around the world is the lack of education in, or, or uh, the lack of wanting to, to do their job in the media. These people don't know how to ask a question. They don't understand what's being answered of the questions they ask. So there's zero pushback. And the normies out there can't make sense because they don't study this stuff like we do. So it keeps going because there's nobody out there. And of course, they're not going to give an interview to somebody who would push back. So it's just so controlled. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's really they, sad. The typical person does not know what causes all this stuff. What, and this is why it's so important to educate people. It's why it's so important to like this next generation of humans needs to understand the money. Speaking of which, We've got a young lady named Autumn Domingo up here. We're not going to go to you yet, Autumn. I just want to acknowledge you that you're here. 
they're part of this program called Generation Bitcoin. And they're helping teenagers learn about Bitcoin, which I think is freaking fantastic because you're the future. People need to understand this. Do you know, here's an example of why people, I mean, how much you know people don't understand this. This is what AOC has to say about inflation. It's not their fault, obviously. Our inflation is not going up due to government policies. Inflation is going up due to Wall Street decisions. It's Wall Street. It's not, it's not the politicians. It's not the three and a half trillion they spent one year and the four trillion they spent the other year. It's Wall Street's fault, right? It's not that government misallocates capital, Alex. It's just that those projects fail because they're stupid. It's, yeah. it's not, also not, not because not, we shut down production. Sorry, you, you do have the Christine Lagarde quote coming up too, I presume, where she said, Inflation just came out of nowhere. <laughs> but of course, speaking of which, roll that one. And do that out of pleasure. Mm. We do it because we are fighting. We do it because we are fighting inflation. Inflation has um, just pretty much come about from nowhere. We had. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best one. Like, it's just, it jumped out of a bush. I was walking down the street and all of a sudden it, inflation so, jumped out of the bushes and the next thing you know, that's the we drunk are driver. That's the drunk driver saying that truck came out of nowhere. The tree came out of nowhere. Who? More like that. The tree I crashed into just came out of nowhere. It's like everybody was saying, watch out for that tree. You're racing towards that tree. Take your foot off the gas, turn the steering wheel, do something. You're headed straight for that tree. Smash it straight into the tree. And I said, oh, who could have seen it? It came right out of nowhere. And this is, oh. I don't know. I don't have to say any more than that. <laughs> uh, sorry, Toma. I didn't mean, I thought you were done. Um, yeah, it's, uh, what did I want to say? Uh, yeah, any media that reports this and don't question it, I mean, it's so obvious. Any media doing that is co-opted the way I see it. I mean, come on, man. So super, super important. People need to understand money. People need to understand why it has value. People need to understand what, what causes it to lose its value, which is what's happening. And nope. these young folks see it like they're growing up watching it happen. And it's accelerating. Uh, we should also don't forget uh, Neil Kashkari's little bit during the whole 2020 debacle of how he said <laughs> we've got nothing to worry about because we can just print as many dollars as we want. Infinite power. <laughs> Bunch of clowns. Well, uh, I would like to introduce our our first guests for today. So we have Autumn Domingo and we have Arsh Mulu up here. Uh, Arsh is 17 years old, man. Gen Bitcoiners. I don't know how autumn, how old autumn is, and it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that these young folks are getting after it. So welcome to both of you. Really glad you guys could come today. Hi, thank you for having us. We're so excited to, to speak. Hey guys, happy white paper anniversary! Thanks for having us. <laughs> happy white paper anniversary to you too. 
All right. Tell us about you guys, if you don't mind. I'm sure the people here would love to know. Like, I'm super fired up for what you guys are doing. I want to hear more. Um, do you mind? Tell us a little bit about your story. Like, like, why did you guys do this? What's uh, what's on your mind here? Uh, well, I got into Bitcoin the start of uh, September of last year. And so from that point on, I was just going to like BitDevs meetups and just trying to learn more and meet new people in the space. And then I met the other co-founder, uh, Ishana, who wasn't able to come speak today. But then we just kind of started working together and trying to understand Bitcoin. So we'd be like, hey, check out this resource or, or look at this book. And then from there, it kind of grew to like three other people who, and we just discussed Bitcoin materials. And then Arsh came in and we all just started learning about Bitcoin together. And we're like, wait, this is actually a really great idea because when I went to these BitDev meetups, there weren't anyone our age, you know? And I was like, it's really important since we're the next generation, like inheriting this space and who are going to be working in it it's important for us to understand it and also help other teens our age understand it. And so that's kind of like the whole mission of, of Generation Bitcoin. Yeah, so I, I obviously share a similar sentiment as well. Um, I've been in Bitcoin for three years now. Um, and ever since I, I got into the space, you know, I've just been, you know, wanting to talk to, other teens about Bitcoin. Um, and once I, you know, started to actually dig deeper into it, this was the point where, you know, I was going around my schools and different schools and putting up, you know, Bitcoin bookshelves on libraries and, and, and stuff like that, you know? So um, I was just like, you know, we there's a dire need for a community like this. Um, and, you know, that's when Generation Bitcoin came along so we've just been you know growing it since then that's so cool i'm so proud of you guys like just getting after it and just doing it you know um that's really neat so tell us like what have you learned like why is it why is this important to you i think for me i really am able to see how it can help every single person in this world. And it helps in so many different ways. And I want to be able to be able to show other people that as well. And so kind of why I want to be in the space and like what I want to do as my role is to help like break down the barrier between new users in the space who like know nothing about Bitcoin and Bitcoin itself. And so that's kind of why I got into UX design is because I feel like I I can do that and I can help grow the space through making it more simplified and trying to help other people understand and see what I see for it. And I think as more people join the space, it could help more people with with their lives and, and preparing for the future and making sure that they can live the life that they want to. Yes, I mean, once I found out you know the the power of of Bitcoin, what it can do. Um, I shortly after um, joined uh, HRF, so I work part time at HRF as well as um, Generation Bitcoin. Um, I think my my full time thing right now, you know, is 
just trying to figure out how to bring more people into Bitcoin, you know, not just, not just teens. Um, because everyone, you know, Bitcoin is for everyone, right? So I think it's just knowing how to bring those people in. And that's what we've been learning um, through Generation Bitcoin. Um, it's only been, you know, barely a year now um, that we started, but I'm, I'm super excited for what's to come. When you say like the power of Bitcoin, what do you mean by that? What do you, what is it you think Bitcoin can do? I think, I mean, there's so many things that, that Bitcoin can do. I, I, I guess it just depends where you are and who you are, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people on the stage are familiar with, you know, HRF's work and Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, just, just enabling people to be able to, you know, be self-sovereign and to use Bitcoin as, as they need it, right? Um, and that's also for teens to learn about Bitcoin, you know, and what they're getting into. And when I say learn about Bitcoin, right, I mean, we all know it's not just about Bitcoin itself. You know, you have to learn, um, you know, economics and history and philosophy and so many different aspects of Bitcoin. Um, so we just want to, you know, provide whatever resources we can to help everyone learn about that. I think for me, um, funny enough, I am applying to colleges right now, and I had to write this supplemental essay that's like, what is an issue that you see in the world, and what do you want to, like, what do you want to work on and, and help solve that issue while you're at this college? And of course, I chose Bitcoin. I was I was talking about Bitcoin, and I think the main thing that I talked about in that essay was how you're able to have a money that it's it's hard money and it's for the people and it's decentralized and i think the most important thing is that we all have the opportunity to do what we want with our money and be able to spend the money and not lose that value over time because the government keeps printing it you know and so i think that's that's a really important aspect is because it gives the power to the people of what they want to do and how they want to choose where to put their money. And it helps them in the sense of the store of value aspect. And I think there's a lot more to that. Um, but that was just one thing that I think came to mind. All right. So um, if it's up with you guys, we're just going to like let some of these other folks ask some questions if you guys are cool with that. Yeah, of course. Right on. Uh, go ahead, Mike, and then Tomer. And then um, my understanding is we've got Surfer Jim back up here. Sorry about that, Jim. Didn't mean to, <clears throat> didn't mean to remove you like that. Um, didn't realize it, it, it just occurred to me. <laughs> that you introduced them to us. So thank you. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. It's, um, I, the only the question I have is should be pretty relatively straightforward. I'm just curious, um, with your guys's age, are you guys running into any issues with, um, individuals kind of getting a little bit of judgmental, like thinking that just like you're young, like you don't necessarily know what you're talking about, or is there, or is there more of a, uh, 
positive affirmative response in like people really just being shocked and impressed with how much you guys understand around philosophy and like monetary policy when you're talking about Bitcoin. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for autumn here, but I, at least myself, I, I've never been discriminated against from my age, you know? Um, and we go to, we go to quite a few conferences. I think I've been to, every every conference in the past two years you know so whenever i I meet people as well it's just like they 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 love talking to me they love you know our mission and it's never i've never felt discriminated against in in any way by the way rustin is one of our uh, research guys part of their team he uh he says he met you arsh at bitcoin 2020 i guess it was in miami this year Autumn, did you have something you want to add? Oh, um, yeah. I think for the most part, everyone has been just so open. And they're just, like, most of the time they're just shocked. They're like, what are you doing here? You're like, you're weird, you know? And it they've just been so supportive. Like, everyone in the space that I've met from conferences, from BitDevs meetups that are from, like, all over um, have just shown all support. And I think we've been really lucky with that. And we've gained so many great mentors and um and also friends along the way so yeah i we've been pretty lucky in that aspect it's so cool i love hearing this kind of stuff timer yeah i mean this is just a quick observation it's we just played before these guests came up this the ramblings of the people in charge the, the people who are ought to be our wise elders uh who turned out to be our inarticulate incomprehensible missing the boat elders and it's so encouraging to hear articulate lucid intelligent views coming from the upcoming generation that we, you know that for all the problems that we have um there are there, there are people who are awake and, and i think as someone who comes i guess from 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 the older generation we hear so much criticism of the of the younger generation and here any criticism you hear gets immediately disproved by contradiction by the example of of the guests that we have up here so just you know i'm, I'm grateful to hear it and I, I applaud your guys efforts and and encourage you to continue to do what you're doing because um it's uh it's where the future success of, of all of this will come from and it just it goes to show how when we say Bitcoin is for everyone, that includes everyone of all ages as well. It's super encouraging. It gives me hope. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Jim. Uh, yeah, hey, thanks, Alex. Um, so, hi, Autumn. Uh, so, I met Autumn at New York City BitDevs. I heard her dad go all the time. And they sat there for days. And, and when the microphone in the beginning of our bit devs goes around, everybody introduces themselves. So when her and Shana uh, introduced themselves the first few times and mentioned how young they were, everybody would applaud. Because it's like, wow, look at these young people that are here trying to learn. And bit devs is very highly technical. But Shana, to her credit, she's not going to toot her own horn here, it sounds like, because she's very humble. But she's a front-end developer at her age as a teenager. And um, her partner... Ashana is a, uh, I'm sorry if I said the wrong name, Autumn is a front-end developer. Ashana is a back-end developer 
who I believe is the youngest person to ever get a pull request uh, accepted into Bitcoin Core. So he got a couple young, motivated, brilliant, uh, you know, teenagers that have found Bitcoin and have apparently made it a mission of theirs to, to grow within their own generation, the knowledge and the functionality of Bitcoin to the best that they can. Um, they were invited by the people who run the BitDevs meeting to do a presentation for the rest of the audience. And it happened to be that night that Elizabeth Stark was sitting there and she was blown away. I was, I was, I could see her. I kept looking over and her, her, her chin was on the floor listening to these two teenagers. She immediately went up to them after the, uh, after the end of the presentation. And I know they had long discussions because eventually they both ended up on stage with Elizabeth Stark at Bitcoin 2022, which was really impressive because Elizabeth was very impressed with their, their knowledge and their, their attitude towards all things. So I just wanted to point out the stuff that she might not say about herself and where they're going with this thing, the recognition they're getting from the larger Bitcoin community. And it gives me huge hope to know that there are at least some people in her generation that are getting this. And of course, as she grows and teaches others, I hope that her entire generation gets this and we can do, we can, we can see the revolution that's coming in the generation that's already alive on this planet. I would think that'd be awesome. So congratulations, Autumn. Great that you're back here. Uh, we all can learn from your generation. You know, you got a different perspective on the world and it's good for us to hear it sometimes. So thank you for being here. Thank you for all your contributions. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Jump in there, Bubby. Yeah, hey, this you know what this, this is very cool, Alex. Um, man, a whole generation that you know we usually don't get to interact with. You know, you just you just don't. You know, you got your your colleagues and and work and friends from a, a different generation. But yeah, just first off, thanks guys for jumping in. Um, I'm certain I would not be this poised <laughs> and control at that age to, to jump in and, and talk about Bitcoin. Just curious, um, just sort of the general feel from your generation. Um, obviously, things right now, so many it seems, you know, are, are priced out of, of buying a new home. Uh, salaries are stagnant. Um, you know, education's through the roof. Um, your your average home now is 500 grand, but. For this generation and your your friends, um, you know, when you describe Bitcoin to them or when they see, you know, I, I'm sure there's a few that are just into quote unquote crypto, the bad word around here, things like Dogecoin, Shibu, just for a quick buck. Do you find when, when you sort of orange till them, is it is it more out of a, a, a sense of here, just download this wallet, I'm going to send you some sats or what's the general way you go about with your friends to, to get them um, to understand Bitcoin? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. Um, and this is obviously still a work in progress. Um, and yes, our generation is, you know, at the, the at propeller of all the nonsensical um, garbage out there. But obviously, um, at Generation Bitcoin, we try um, to push for a Bitcoin-only type of feel. Um, so we don't encourage discussion around any other cryptos. Um, but I guess as like, as it goes, right, like for school and stuff, you know, um, when we're, when we're orange playing teens, there's just different ways, uh, to do it. I, I think one of the biggest things is just, you know, giving them a, a short book, right? Like I've, I've identified a, a few resources 
um, that I found helpful, um, whether it's a short book, a short article, um, even a video, right? Like whatever helps them learn. So it's, it's actually very rarely been um, a few sats to a wallet. Um, I, I would like it to be to be more, but um, as time goes on, you know, I mean, we're still we're still in a bear market. As as things get more euphoric down the line, there's going to be this whole new wave of teens that are going to be interested in Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that one of the main things that draws our generation in is like how they can they can make money off of it. You know, they don't see it as something more than that and there's or there's only a few of us out there as of right now that I know of and so I think if I'm talking to someone who has like no interest in bitcoin no interest in like cryptocurrency at all have no idea what's going on like with our monetary system it it's kind of hard to get them to to listen and so that's kind of one thing that i really really want to work on and try and come up with a clear um concise way of like this is what bitcoin is and letting them see how it impacts them because once you're able to see this is how bitcoin can help my life then you'll be able to see this is how bitcoin can help the world and the rest of the people out there and so i think to answer your question in short, I think trying to make it most connect to like what would interest them in Bitcoin and you kind of have to tailor it to the person you're talking to. Um, And then once you're able to do that, they might be like, oh, I actually want to learn a little bit more about that. And then they can come to you, ask questions. They could be like, hey, what's a good resource? And then it kind of like goes down the rabbit hole from there. Um, but it is kind of a slow p- process, and especially with people who are not interested in Bitcoin at all or have no idea about any of this, um, it's still a work in progress of how can we get those people into this space and what is the best way to do that. So, yeah. Well, I applaud you both for everything you're doing. Uh, yeah, I think with this generation, I mean, more than many, I, I know there's a, a social justice um concept to them um to want to help and i think that's a fantastic idea what what interests them when they hear stories of how someone in el salvador can receive remittances and save 25 to 30 percent when they hear about countries that really have no one banked going through hyperinflation and how it helps people i think that's definitely um an absolute great way for you guys so yeah thanks for everything you're doing so proud of you guys um, I want to be respectful of your time, and I, I know we only have you for a short time today, so if you have time for another question, we've got one from the audience that I can ask you. I, I don't know when you guys got to go. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm good right. to stay. All right, cool. So this is a question for Autumn from Sholi. Given Bitcoin as a mission, what sort of criteria do you have in mind for your college search? Um, so... My my main thing is UX design, and so I've gotten my certificate in UX design and have um, started working. Like I, I was a part of Summer of Bitcoin this summer, um, and of those for those of you who don't know, it's an internship program where uh, you contribute to an open source project. You have a team of developers and designers, and then you work on a pro- an open source project that's already out there, and then you help develop it. And so 
I worked on this for about four months and it was an amazing experience. And what I learned from there is I don't think I'd want to go to college for design because that's more of a doing type of of thing where you just you start designing and you start fixing the problems within uh, the different interfaces out there. And so I think what I start want to start working on is like business and, and entrepreneurship. So kind of diving into that. So then I have a more well-rounded idea of like, all right, these are how entrepreneurship and design connect and, and just building my skills. Because I've been homeschooled my entire life and my education has been about building skill and, and saying this is, this is the information that I need and I love learning and this is why I want to learn. It's not for the grade. It's because I want to learn to understand it. And so that's why I kind of hit this fork in the road where is it like, should I go to college or should I, I just start working because that's what I can do and that's what I've been doing. And I think for anyone out there who's kind of in like a similar process to where I am, I know that I want the college experience. And so what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, like go down a hole for college that's completely different from design and build a different skill and learn about a whole different topic that I know nothing about and then see how those two can work together um, in the future. So I don't know if that answered the question, but. So impressive. You young folks are so impressive. (laughs) Hear that? Homeschooled her whole life. What's funny (laughs) is that for the majority of people, part of Gen B, we're all homeschooled and like, Arsh and Ashan are the only one. Well, okay, I technically go to school now. I was like, I got the opportunity to go to high school um, this for senior year. So I'm actually in high school now. But for the majority, most of the people in gener- part of Generation Bitcoin are homeschooled. Wow. Interesting correlation there. Hmm. Al- Alice, I was just gonna. I see Mike's got his hand up. I was just gonna say this is a, this was a perfect show to have Daniel Prince and uh, Lauren on with you guys. I wish I could be in Generation B. <laughs> right? These these folks are amazing. Okay. Uh, a quick other thing that from Sholi, and then we'll go to Mike. Consideration for everyone listening would be great to start a Bitcoin scholarship for these young teens as another form of support. I agree. Mike? Yeah, uh, yeah, we've been we've been asking these two um a lot about basically how they're helping push the community, but I was curious how can the community help you guys? Like what do you guys need help with? Yeah, so <clears throat> obviously we've gotten a lot of support um throughout and that's that's naturally came with you know, when, when can we send donations? When can we, you know, help, help support you guys? So we actually aim to, we actually hope to aim to be 501c3 um, pending by the end of this year. So um, we would, you know, at that point we'd be able to, you know, take, take grants and scholarships um, and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, as of, as of now, I guess the, like the biggest support would be, you know, tell your, Tell your friends, <laughs> tell your family, um, whoever, whoever you know, whichever teens in your life, um, just you know, tell them to join Generation Bitcoin. We accept um, any and all teens that have any degree of um, background in in Bitcoin. Um, I'm actually gonna share 
a link in the nest um, of how you can join Generation Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that the main thing is that um, for Generation Bitcoin, it's a community. So it's not like Arsh and Ashan and I are like teaching different topics. It's more of like, these are the things that we're interested in and everyone's contributing. So it's like if another person wants to do a presentation on transactions, they're, they'd be willing to put it up, like get together a presentation and, and do it in front of everyone, you know? And so it's all about learning from one another and, and growing as a community. And so I think having, having those resources and having more people and having people who, are, who can just come in and just get stuff out of the meetings and then also like I think one of the goals for funding is to gain like have teens go to other conferences with us because I think one thing that Arsh and I and Ashana have noticed is that when you go to these conferences you build a tremendous network and if you if you're able to go and meet a bunch of different people and just be curious in what they do it will literally change the trajectory of your life. Like the network you have is the most important and most valuable thing that you could cultivate. And if you start that from a young age, it'll only help you in, in the future. And so I think I want to be able to help other teens out there have that same thing and have an opportunity to build that network. And I think that's another reason why we should get teens in going to like more to these conferences and, and like having possible like internships for them to work on and and just help them get started in in contributing because I think if one thing we've learned is you're never too young to contribute it's just all skill based and if you have a will to be like I want to help out that's all you can do. I love it. Um, whoever from your team is working on putting you know, the five hundred one C three, I would love for you guys to stay in touch with me. Um, we've been talking a lot at Swan about how we can start building the infrastructure to help people donate to these kinds of things. So I'd like to stay in touch with you guys as you move further down that road, perhaps we can figure out a way where we can collab and help you guys out. I'd love to see you succeed. I think it's fantastic. Very proud of what you're doing. Thank you for hanging out with us too. Like that was so cool. Like my heart just goes out to you guys big time. Wish you the best with all of it. Yeah, Alex, I can um, definitely reach out. Um, later on, I, I know, um, from HRF, we have a lot of resources as well, um, you know, to help NGOs, um, and things of that nature. So I would definitely be willing, um, to share some resources with you as well. Awesome. All right. Once again, thanks for hanging out with us. You guys are amazing. Uh, I don't have anything else to add to that. We're going to do some announcements really quick and then we're going to keep, uh, rolling. Autumn, uh, Arsh. You're welcome to hang out if you want to. If you got to go, I also understand. But thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having us. It was amazing speaking here. And thanks to everyone. Yeah, thanks for having us, everyone. Have a good day. They were three years old when the Bitcoin white paper was released. Isn't that amazing? They've grown up with it. It's so cool. They're, they are Generation Bitcoin, aren't they? Wow.
Um, if you want to catch it as a podcast, Fountain, Spotify, Apple. Coming up in just 10 short days, Pacific Bitcoin, the experience is going to be November 10th and 11th. Go to PacificBitcoin.com. Use promo code CAFE for a discount. Uh, some of the top sponsors, Lead and Prime Trust, Ibex. Ibex is going to be connecting all the merchants up. So if you want to spend sats to buy your art or your t-shirts or your food or your whatever, you'll be able to do that. Uh, let's get a quick sailor thought on this. We'll talk a little bit about the events leading up and uh, we'll keep rolling. Well, I just say in support of the conference, you know, I don't travel to these things very often. Hey, Dad, when you going to stop playing? Everybody that I wanted to meet in the Bitcoin world seemed to be there, and a lot of a lot of people reached out to me and said I should come. And then I looked at how many Bitcoiners were getting excited about it, and I thought I didn't really want to miss this. It seems like it's going to be the event of the year. It should be a good time. Man, this is going to be so much fun. I really hope you guys are going to be there um, on that Wednesday prior to... So the conference, first day conference is Thursday. That Wednesday prior, prior, excuse me. There's going to be a thank God for Bitcoin thing. There's going to be a, a hackathon for the stack chain. There will also be a pleb party with Anders that evening um, that apparently is blowing up from what I hear. I think he released where it's going to be. You can find out more information um, by going to bitcoinerevents.com, checking out the uh, the side events to the conference link. Um, and then also, I think they've also got it up on Meetup. Uh, what else? Thursday uh, yeah. night will be... Yep, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, add? yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, like with Jim, uh, if you accidentally kick Andrews down, he's still, he's still listening. Yeah, man, he's going to be be hosting uh, for us. I'm traveling. I got, I got fiat stuff I just cannot get out of. But yeah, man, w- what started as something we thought was just going to be a, a little group, man, has blown up. I think there's over well over 200 now. So uh, I think he's, he's got a place. Yeah, but if you go to Anders, um, if you go to his Twitter account, he's got a, a meetup there for, for everyone to sign up. Should be a blast. Right on. Um, yeah, it's like the thing, right? I think a lot of people are going to that thing. So uh, also Thursday night after conference will be uh, a VIP party. VIP gets into everything Friday night. After the conference from five to seven, um, it's going to be kind of like a, a happy hour cocktail, DJs, all that other kind of stuff. Saturday, beach party, VIP rap party. Um, we have one more ticket to give away. It's going to be a general admission ticket. You can go to swan.com slash PB giveaway to enter to win that. We'll announce it on Friday. Uh, if you're considering a VIP ticket, you should shoot me a DM. I have something special for you. If you're a Swan private client and uh, you have a Swan rep, talk to them about a special discount code. All right, let's keep rolling. We have got Joe Burnett and Mitchell from Blockware. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good morning. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Alex. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm like feeling pretty chill. Let's talk about whatever you want. <laughs> What, what is Blockware Solutions? Yeah, Mitch, I can kick it off and then you can add on as well. Um, so Blockware Solutions is, is basically a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company. Um, they do hardware sales, hardware brokerages, um, hosting for Bitcoin mining, 
and we have a Bitcoin mining pool as well. And then Mitch and I are on the Blockware Intelligence team, which is more of our research and media arm. Um, but yeah, no, excited to be here. Um, I've I've never actually been on a uh, Swan Bitcoin Cafe Bitcoin space, so this is exciting. Well, glad to have you, man. Thanks for coming. I've seen you in the audience before, and uh, so yeah, I'm really glad we've had a chance to get you up here, Mitchell. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm a, a long-time listener. I think I've been on stage maybe once, but uh, you guys put out some great work here. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to come on stage and, and talk about Blockware and what we've been working on. Awesome. Did you have something, Joe? Yeah, I know. Uh, today, actually, Mitch published a long report about the purchasing power of Bitcoin under Bitcoin standard whenever you know that may occur. I don't know if we want to just walk through that. That might be interesting for the audience. Sure. Let's dig in. Talk to us about it. Yeah. So basically, the idea of this report is, uh, you know, I, I sort of subscribe to stock to FOMO that fiat's just going to completely go to zero. And so Bitcoin might be like $100 billion, but a gallon of milk is going to cost who knows how much. So I just wanted to, to figure out what the, the real value of Bitcoin would be under a Bitcoin standard. And the way I went about that was I just quantified what a lot of us talk about in the Bitcoin community about how, you know, because fiat doesn't hold value over time, we're forced to use other assets to store our wealth. So if we bring the, the nominal value of other asset classes down to just their utility alone and we take that excess monetary premium and add it to Bitcoin's market cap, what do we get? And turns out we uh, after, you know, each each asset class has a different uh, monetary premium and we have different methods that we use to calculate that. It's broken down in more detail in the report. But the, the final number we came out to was about $22 million per Bitcoin in, in $20, $21. So uh, if, that, if that happens and there's no, there's no length of time on that forecast, it's just indefinite. If we get to a Bitcoin standard, that, that's what I'm, I'm predicting is uh, $22 million per Bitcoin. And so that that's taken the market cap of like all of debt, all of the fiat monetary base. Real estate was about twenty percent of of real estate's value is is a monetary premium, and that was that was lower than what I expected. But when you think about it, you know there is a lot of real world utility value in owning a house. Can you can you repeat that last one? What did you say that was the monetary premium on real estate? Uh, it was about twenty percent. It was it was twenty three point one percent. So how I calculated that was I I took the difference between the the increase in the construction cost over time and the increase in the actual sales price, right? Because a lot of the, of course, the expanding of the money supply has driven up the price of real estate over time, but also the, the raw materials used to build the house, they go up in value as well. So the total sales price, you can't contribute all of that to a monetary premium, but the difference between the increase in the construction cost and the increase in the sales price was about 23%. So that's that's what I used to, to determine the monetary premium of real estate as whole. And then I extrapolated that to the the entire estimated market cap of real estate, which is about 363 trillion. So taking 23% of that was, um, I can't remember how much exactly I think it was. It was 75 trillion. Add that to Bitcoin's market cap on top of all the other asset classes. So equities, gold, gold is about 50% monetary premium because about half of gold is jewelry, and then all of base money 
and all of the debt built on top of the base money added that to Bitcoin. Yeah, I think the general idea of the report, just to kind of reiterate and, and add my own perspective, was what many people, including Sailor and others, talk about how fiat money is designed to debase over time. And because of that, market participants are forced to store wealth in you know real estate, equities, debt, gold, and other assets. And so this report kind of went through each of those asset classes and attempted to break down what the actual monetary premium and quantify that monetary premium that's stored in each of these asset classes. So it's definitely, you know, a rough estimate of what, you know, potential monetary premium stored in real estate, debt, equities, et cetera, could transition into Bitcoin. Um, but it was kind of an interesting thought experiment to try to figure out, okay, how much of the, you know, well wealth or value stored in these assets is really not necessarily looking for investment or utility value. It's actually just looking for savings and that ideally or potentially might flow straight into the Bitcoin. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, just a couple of questions about how to interpret um, what you've analyzed. So is it fair to say that at this kind of end, end of the end of the transition view, things like gold and real estate will have shed their monetary premium and all of these financialized assets will have. So that's kind of one question. Just, I'll ask the follow-up. How do we think about other things that have become so inflated in price because they're so, because banks will lend and create money out of them, for them, out, out of nothing. Things like university educations and homes and, and, um, and stocks and bonds. Like how how do we think about what what's going to happen to those things if we have a Bitcoin standard? Um the the university thing I think that's that's sort of on its own. I think that that has a lot a lot of its problems are tied in with fiat. But I I don't I don't want to speak too much on that because I definitely think that that'll change and that's not necessarily like a Bitcoin specific thing, but. When, when we're talking about like equities, a lot of people, they they save in like a 401k and they don't really know what, what they're putting it in. They just throw it in the S&P 500 and that's their their retirement plan. But when we're on a Bitcoin standard, you won't have to do that. You will be able to save your money in Bitcoin. And um, the purchasing power, once we've, we've reached this Bitcoin standard, right, the value of the money should appreciate in real terms according to productivity. So you could expect a, a 2% real yield on your Bitcoin every year, and that's going to be the new risk-free rate. So anytime you want to make an investment decision, you have to weigh it against the opportunity costs of just holding Bitcoin and gaining that, that natural appreciation and purchasing power. And I still think, I still think real estate is going to be huge. Like people, there's, there's real utility in owning a house, um, property taxes aside, which, which, suck, which sucks, you know, you, you have it and you don't have to pay rent. You can do whatever you want on your property. Rich people are still going to want to own more than one house just for the heck of it. So I don't think real estate will get as demonetized as people would think, but definitely gold. And this is some, uh, an interesting thought experiment that, that Joe brought up. And I'm curious what you guys think. A lot of the reason people wear gold as jewelry is because it has clout, because people associate gold with wealth. So we when we calculated the monetary premium of gold, we got we got about 50%, but that was just including like 
just excluding financial products and the the remaining 50% is like gold jewelry. But I'm curious if you guys think the that gold jewelry will get demonetized as well because people aren't going to want to wear it because gold's not it's going to be the dead rock, you know. Perhaps people will be wearing Bitcoin bling. I'm not so sure I agree with all that. Um I have a bit of a gold background and when it comes to the jewelry part, a lot of jewelry is held by Indians and Chinese. They don't necessarily buy it necessarily for the same reasons that somebody in the West might buy it. In India in particular, it's pretty common for, uh, you know, just farmers. They they bring in their crops, they sell their crops, they, they don't trust the banks, they don't trust the currency, so they, they buy gold. And to them... <clears throat> they're they're using it as money way more than probably anybody else in the world, in my opinion. <clears throat> so is that going to go away right away? I don't know. I'm not I'm not so sure about that. Go ahead, Anderson. Yeah, um, I lived in Dubai for for 12 years and had a company there. And and uh, there's about a million Indians in Dubai. It's very nearby. By the way, the Indian food there, obviously, for that reason, are is absolutely amazing. Um, so what I've learned. Uh, from Indian culture is that they use the gold, especially on women, to just save up money and accumulate savings and wealth. That's why, you know, like maybe when they're born, they get a, a small gold bracelet. Uh, and as they get older and they get gifts, they get more gold to put on their body. Of course, I can't generalize and say every single one billion um, Indian, but but that's that's what I've learned, and and therefore I think it is actually being used primarily as a as a savings tool to store wealth, and and as mobile usage is is exploding there like everywhere else soon everyone has it, um, I, I think that will switch to Bitcoin. But that's just my five sets. Something interesting that I don't think is being brought up enough is that say hypothetically say gold wins right hypothetically say gold and silver wins and bitcoin is doesn't grow as fast as gold and silver let's just say that hypothetical well then the dollar is going to crash in that scenario right if bitcoin succeeds the dollar would crash in that scenario right so i'm from the precious metals industry move quite a bit of precious metals and i can tell you when the dxy falls metals go up when the dxy is up metals go down so both bets are a bet against the dollar itself so it's kind of funny to me hearing the things like, oh, well, gold, this is going to get eaten up by Bitcoin. It's like, no, if either one of those succeeds, it's going to skyrocket the other because the DXY would fall. I, I just don't understand why, why there's not more understanding on, on what happens when the dollar crumbles. These are both bets in the same direction against the dollar. I, I understand the sentiment there, but... Um... I feel like it's betting on like a horse versus a rocket ship, right? If, if the dollar collapses, gold gold will do fine. Gold will do much better than the dollar. But I, I tend to believe Bitcoin will do way, way better than gold and way, way better than the dollar. But then that contradicts exactly what you're saying. If you're saying that, that gold's market share is going to get eaten up so much by Bitcoin, that's a direct contradiction to what you're saying. If you're saying gold will do well in this scenario, then, you're, then your entire hypothesis on gold's market share being eaten by Bitcoin is invalid. Okay, so this... This forecast is in real terms, and it, I, I nominally think Bitcoin's going to be worth a billion dollars when fiat goes to zero. And perhaps under that scenario, an ounce of gold is worth a million dollars. But in the real terms of real purchasing power, Bitcoin will eat up gold. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's you know pretty much exactly what's been happening over the last decade. You denominate Bitcoin and and these other assets, whether it's real estate, equities, gold. I mean, Bitcoin's eating them alive. Um, and I, you know, I kind of expect that trend to continue. I don't even know if market share is the right way to to, to think about it, about it from a framework perspective, because. You know, saying using the word market share assumes that there's a certain amount of the market that wants to buy a certain product. But the, but the thing is, is that if the U.S. dollar starts to to do really badly, like people are going to run to whatever is going to hold value, right? So I don't think it's necessarily about market share. I think that the the amount of value in U.S. dollar terms in those kind of conditions in gold is going to go up, and it will also go up in Bitcoin. So. Then you have this this kind of this rotation that's occurring demographically, right? Where you've got all these older folks, you know, who 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 are who are all the gold bugs today? They're mostly boomers, right? Well, these people are dying. We just earlier today, we just had um, these two young folks. You know, th they started this thing called Generation Bitcoin. They were literally like three years old when the Bitcoin white paper was written. They've grown up with it. That's so they they're they are. Coin native kids and they get it 100 so if you look where the world is going to be 20 years from now a lot of these big a lot of these boomers are going to be gone and the whole thing is shifting so does that super, mean super that jim how do you feel about that because i'm i'm feeling a little offended right now well you can be offended but it's the truth I don't know if Jim's I just, up I just don't know. I, I, I would love to get Boss's uh, take on this, but the one thing that I think is overlooked too is look at how much gold both Russia and China have been buying since we threatened them. It was in 2014 when we threatened them to take off to get to weaponize the, the swift the swift system against them, and then that's what they've been doing ever since 2014 is creating their own system. Not a fair comparison gold. though. These are sovereigns, right? I mean, sovereigns have different motives. The world. These are central banks around the world. I mean, they're all yeah. I I, I get it. I and I agree, but that's not what I, I mean. That's not a fair comparison, I think, because those are sovereigns. They're going to do what they need to do as sovereigns, but people are going to do something completely different. I think. Greg, what do you think? Good morning, Greg Foss. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, awesome conversation. Um, I, I want to confirm. Uh, so you're using this monetary premium. The price target for Bitcoin is uh, twenty-two million per Bitcoin, guys. Yes, sir. And that, that's right. in real terms. In, yeah, in no, terms I get it. I get it. So I, I, as you guys know, I, I use a similar methodology to come up with my price target, which is uh, only about one tenth of your price target. So my price target of two million in today's dollars is currently being valued by the market as having a one percent chance of coming uh, true. So I'll just extend that to your price target has about a 10 basis point probability of coming true according to the market, both of which are ridiculously low. It has to go through my price target before it hits your price target. So let's agree that we're rowing in the same direction. But let's go back to Rob's question. I mean, the reality is the market cap of gold is a rounding error in the context of 900 trillion in total global assets. And we are talking about gold, which has maybe uh, 10 trillion. So it's 190th. Right? I'm not sure why we always pick fights with gold. I know Sailor doesn't like it, but you know, quite honestly, there's a lot of gold bugs, Larry Lapard included, that understand why we need stores of value. And I own gold, and 
You can tell me I'm a knucklehead and I'll tell you, fuck yourselves because I've managed risk for 35 years. I don't go all in with both feet ever. There's a great trading expression, risk not thy whole wad and take profits and manage risk according to the information as it changes. So the fact that we're arguing over another store of value that has been historically the best store of value for against uh, US dollar debasement or one of the best real estate is 300 trillion and gold is 10 trillion. Focus on real estate. You guys said it was 363 or something. I see 300. I don't give a shit. Guys, focus on the big assets in the room. Focus on bonds and what a piece of shit bonds have been and quit picking on gold because you know what? It's a rounding error. When Bitcoin gets to be worth 45 trillion, I bet you gold is also worth somewhere around 45 trillion. I don't care if I'm right or wrong. The reality is, yes, Bitcoin will outperform gold. But what happens if something that you haven't forecast and and gold, because for some reason or another, reverts back to its historical significance? I, I really need to press this, guys, from a risk management perspective. You can send the hate mail if you want. It's not going to change my mind. Managing risk is a, an art, not a science. And everybody has a different risk profile managing. I hope I get that point across. There's no right answer. The only wrong answer is owning zero Bitcoin. And then move from there. What is your proper portfolio uh, exposure? The cool thing, guys, I love your analysis. I've never thought of it from a monetary premium basis. But you know what? We're sucking and blowing. We're basically doing all the same things and arriving at an incredibly a valuation for Bitcoin that makes the current trading price so incredibly cheap that we're getting too smart by a half sometimes. Is that fair? I'll go on mute. Uh, the thanks. irony, Foss, is the parallels are just unbelievable where it's like if we were going to statistically – you're, you're a fan of statistics. Every, everybody in here is probably a fan of statistics. Statistically, how many people in the world understand what true self-custody is? Statistically, maybe 2% of the entire world's population, 1%. I'd say that that's one. I'd say that's way high, but uh, yeah. But here's the funny thing: when and, you're dealing with eight billion bugs, <laughs> like how many of those are gold bugs? Was the point I was trying to get across is like how many of those people that understand what it is to be a libertarian, understand what it is to have self custody. How of that tiny one percent of the entire world's population was it? Ninety percent of them are are gold and silver bugs. I would say something along those lines. Yeah, so it's like why is Bitcoin? Rolling, why yeah. are they outcasting their fellow libertarian? It just makes me laugh. I don't understand. Well, I, I, let's let's not say laugh or whatever. We we we're concerned. But here's what I want to say, and then I'll, I will step down. I promise. If there's truly 117 million Bitcoiners in the world, that's Jeff Booth's number. That is a very small fragment of the global population of eight billion. Okay, but if you put all of those people into a single country. Somehow we amalgamated all of those Bitcoiners into one single country. We'd be a top 10 country in the world. Okay. So different ways of skinning the cat of saying the same thing. All right. You can have dispersion throughout the whole world. People who like gold, people who like Bitcoin, you put them all together in a room, man, that's a pretty big size purchasing power. And, and, uh, you know, start comparing things apples to apples. You know, 170 million is one half the entire population of the USA. What does that 170 million represent as GDP? You know, hard to say, but I would just say that these are some of the exciting things which make me say, don't get too smart by a half, people. This is so incredibly stupid cheap. 
I hope your price target of 22 million is correct, fellas. It's a great model, but models are just like everything, right? Somebody believes the model to be worth this. Sometimes people say the model, like Corey Clipston, oh, F2P or whatever he called it, F, whatever that thing was, uh, price to flow, stock to flow. Uh, you know, he, he called it out. Nobody has to believe in it. It's just a model. It's a valuation metric. So I'm stepping down, guys. I look forward to uh, hearing more about your, your stuff. The coolest thing is, this opened my eyes to a different valuation methodology. I applaud you for that. Uh, good work. Uh, thanks for having me up. You bet. Bitcoin does break a lot of models. Shout out to Sam Callahan, Dr. Jeff in the audience, throwing you both invites if you'd like to come and join this discussion. Rob Sultan, we haven't seen you in a long time, man. It's, it's good to have you back. I think it's been, what is it, six or seven months. I'm going to take a wild-ass guess and say that you met a girl, right? <laughs> Quite the opposite. I've been scaling my business to uh, to growing its user base and, and launching a new website and things like that with uh, with my personal business. But uh, definitely, it, it would be the opposite if I met a woman. Unfortunately, I've, I've or fortunately, I think that's a fortunate thing, you know. So I think that's a cheat code in my life right now is that I've been staying away from them. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, one thing I would say is that that's interesting, and this is a, a point that, like, say if I was going to debate Peter Schiff, for example, Peter Schiff is always constantly talking about, how, oh, we're going to have a digital gold, where everyone's going to go, and, he's, and he's, right now he's doubling down on it over the last few weeks. He's constantly talking about this digital gold idea. Well, every time, we trusted a, every time we trusted a custodian, it's failed. So the, the interesting aspect is, is like, the, the parallels is if you, if you don't hold it, you don't own it, is the saying in precious metals. Uh, the people that understand what custody is in precious metals say that. And with, with Bitcoin, everybody knows not your keys, not your coins. The interesting part is there is no possible way to digitize gold, period. You cannot have a token back to gold. It is impossible. So I can say that from firsthand experience, understanding what it is. It's like it's like trusting your neighbor to hold your gold bars for you because they have a better safe. No, you're it's not going to It's insane. It doesn't work. But the it interesting other, the other side of the token, though, too, is that if you have Bitcoin, you can never tangibly hold that in the physical realm. You can store it digitally on your own cold storage, and that is your your technical way to own have full custody of it. So they the problem do. is the correlated asset. You don't have control over it. There's no way it'll work. I like look. I investigated this for a year. You know, I had some guys that I was involved in the bullying industry with that were like, we need to do some kind of gold backed token, and I looked at it for a long time, and. Uh, it doesn't work. Gold, well, the, the primary weakness of gold is, is that it's subject to the whims of mankind. And as long as that exists, which will be forever, that's where gold's weakness is. It's always been that way, always will be that way. Tell that to Max Kaiser. <laughs> I was a little upset with them going, like, like I saw uh, Stacy, and I really am a fan of both of them, actually. I think they're, they're, I like their craziness, but like to go down on Elon Musk, like to be like, oh, you overpay for Twitter. I'll, I'll tell some people, I think he stole Twitter. I think he stole it for so cheap. Do you understand? Like, what people don't understand about this is the guy has a nearly trillion dollar company that he's built called Tesla. And guess what? He spent not a dollar on marketing expenses. So what is the value of jumping your following from 90 million or whatever to 115 million or 110 million overnight and having the entire world see you as the chief of Twitter? 
And then you can basically sell whatever product you want in real time and instantaneously let it out to the masses when you're already in the power position that he's in. Twitter's worth hundreds of billions of dollars to Elon Musk, hundreds of billions. So and not only that is he's also trying to promote freedom of speech. So the fact that he pulled this off is like nothing short of a miracle in modern times, in my opinion. And so to see them doubling down and constantly, you know, just because uh, Elon didn't, you know, go all in on Bitcoin. It's like it's kind of childish, in my opinion. I, I look at what Elon did is is pretty special to modern times yeah i don't disagree with that i'd like to hear from marshall uh we've also got rowdy up here and then um back to joe and mitchell uh rowdy good morning what do you got morning guys hey thanks um i i just had a i have a theory i've been incubating about physical gold vis-a-vis -vis bitcoin and the and the monetary premium and jewelry and thoughts about that but if we've moved on from that i don't, I don't need to rehash it but but you brought it up, so you might as well. All right. Well, so the interesting thing, the, the, the thing about that, you know, Michael Saylor is always saying about <clears throat> Bitcoin is it dematerializes money, right? And so gold's biggest Achilles heel as a money is its physicality, right? It's super heavy, dense. If you want to amass a lot of it, you know, you need to, it needs to be centralized in a vault and protected by people with guns, et cetera. It's very hard to move. But what, what does, what what does Bitcoin have in the way of ostentatious display of wealth? Because you can't wear, I mean, I guess you could wear your open dime, but it doesn't scream what the amount of, you know, Bitcoin on there is. So what happens when people want to flex and, and, and display that wealth? You know, so I, I think gold's physicality is, is, probably not going to go away or, or the monetary premium is not going to go away at least insofar as it's a jewelry gold is still a fascinating element you know it, alchemists for millennium have been trying to you know manufacture it you can't um except in like a fucking hadron collider or whatever uh it's super ductile you can you can spin it down thread you know into a thread as thin as an atom i mean it has crazy qualities it's brilliant looking you know that's undeniable um you can shape it into all kinds of cool objects and express creativity with it. So anyway, my, my take on gold is that if we get to Bitcoin, you know, uh, hyper Bitcoinization, it might demonetize um, a lot of things and take away the monetary premium of a lot of things like big assets, you know, bonds, uh, real estate. But gold, I think, in a way, its greatest weakness may become its strength as as jewelry and as something that people revere also mm. to everybody's point you know the chinese and the indians for for 5000 years have been you know it's a major deeply embedded part of their culture and that's like 3 billion people right there almost yeah. have so in, in addition to that rowdy what i would say too is with gold there is no immutable ledger there is no document saying that you can look up on google as much as you want I, and also by the way 50% of gold's market cap market cap is not jewelry not even close. You're talking. You're saying that there's five trillion dollars in jewelry out there in gold. It's not even close to that figure. But the uh, not not that was brought up by somebody earlier. Not you, Rowdy. But that's that's a completely wrong uh, statistic. But there, the interesting part about gold is if you look at a communist country, or you look at Russia, or you look at you know all these different countries, do they want the world to know how much wealth they have? With gold, with Bitcoin, it's it's both a, a positive and a negative. So if you if you're really being honest as a Bitcoiner, every single transaction is documented on a ledger and everyone can see those transactions. It's all public. And that's you can break that, it's, though. I mean, you not can... really, not really. Yeah. Not really. Like, but but the thing is, like with gold, there is no, when they say 
the point is when they say there's a 10 trillion market cap or 12 trillion market cap of gold, it could very well be 28 trillion. It could very well be 50 trillion. We have no clue because there is That's no ledger point. of the system. So, so there are communist countries out there that, by the way, China might have way more gold than we have. Russia might have way more gold than we have. We have no clue how much gold is out there in the world. So all of these numbers are pulled out of thin air. It, it, there is no yeah, they're guesstimates. and that is that is both that is both on both sides of the token that is both good and bad with gold you can see the positive and in, in the sovereignty of it of people know if you're knowing that there's no digital way to ever know how much gold you have in your vault how many ounces of gold you have stored up no one can ever know period so there's a beauty in that but there's also the negative aspect in that it's impossible to audit the system so there's there's those both sides of the token which is why i don't understand why there's not like people understanding exactly what they're fighting against and why not they're, they're why not kind of merge forces i don't know if the 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 privacy thing overcomes the 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 weakness to to the whims of mankind like it's great like so let's say you you privately hold a whole bunch of gold but how do you actually use that and i think bitcoin probably trumps gold hardcore when it comes to being able to use it in transactions and transfer it around the world instantly and not need anybody's permission to do it, especially in size, especially in size. Let's go back to Joe Burnett and Mitchell um, with Blockware. Um, you guys had Corey on your podcast the other day, didn't you? Hey, yeah, just before we before we change topics real quick, I just wanted to say that the point of this report was not to, to trigger any gold bugs. Gold is only a sliver of the pie of the, the addressable assets that we think Bitcoin's going to demonetize. We, we anticipated taking all of the 300 trillion worth of debt. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Alex, how you don't, you don't think market cap is necessarily a great way to think about this. And, and I agree, but the problem is we don't have a... No, I didn't say market cap. Market share. Someone said market share, which okay. market cap and market share are two totally different things. It's just, there's, it's difficult to quantify this, right? Because fiat is such a, a terrible unit of account. And that's what we use for all economic measurement at this point. So trying to... To, to understand what the purchasing power of Bitcoin is going to be at this point, we can only really speak about it in terms of fiat. Yeah, uh, but I mean, anything, it's yeah. the unit of account that that easily comes to mind, right? Like unless somebody is is continuously calculating things in a different unit of account, you're not going to naturally think of it that way. So, and you're saying you're saying that because fiat is a moving target as far as its value, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. So this report we we've done so we just set it as twenty twenty one fiat is is our immovable measure measuring stick. But we 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 understand that like if this thesis plays out, if Bitcoin becomes a global reserve asset, fiat's gonna be worth a lot less than it is in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. Yep, all fair. All right. Cool to move on. Yeah, and one other point that I think is interesting to, to kind of bring up historically, like when there's inventions such as, you know, the telegraph, the phone, the automobile, creating that technology actually ends up increasing the amount of wealth in the world. People are more wealthier. They have more time. They have more resources. They can use more energy. Bitcoin is probably a technology that does the same to where it enables proper capital allocation, better price signals, and simply better money. So I think at the end of the day, it's possible that Bitcoin as a monetary tool could create or likely will create um, more wealth, at least on an accounting basis, 
that you know it currently exists today and on that point joe i think i think it's fitting that that dr ross is up here because under a bitcoin standard you know a guy like him is not going to have to leave his profession as a doctor to go full-time into markets you know just to to be able to save wealth like and i don't know if that's specifically your situation spoke, spoke dr. Ross, too but, soon dr jeff is yeah. no longer a doctor if you gotta gotta know his story a little bit yeah i know i'm saying he he left being a doctor to go to go work in markets right okay gotcha gotcha i was just just joking with you I like right, that Jeff. concept that you mentioned, Joe. I think you're right, man. If you think about it in terms of what Bitcoin does is it's the crucible, right? It punishes misallocations of capital and it rewards efficient utilization of capital and it happens very quickly. So unlike the fiat monetary system, which hides all kinds of uh, bad allocations of capital, I mean, how many trillions of dollars are wrapped up in zombie companies, in subsidies, in just spending money on nonsense um, that really doesn't cre create wealth for mankind in general. If you, if you think of it in terms of how efficient the monetary system will become in purging bad allocations of capital, I completely agree with that, man. That's an amazing thought. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think another interesting point is a lot of the, you know, GDP or our global economy today is based around consumption, kind of mindless consumption that really does nothing for the future of humanity, right? Bitcoin is this technology that enables people to lower their time for preference, think more about the future. So instead of maybe, you know, buying yachts and crazy things that don't really help the future, you know, your future self and maybe your, your future family, um, but it actually maybe enable people to build tools that enable automation to, to, you know, better distribute things like food, shelter. Um, I think it's going to do a lot of great things for humanity. I agree. Like if you think of it in terms of what have we done now, what is fiat? What's the behavior that fiat has incentivized? It's incentivized exactly what you said, overconsumption, spending, pulling the future into now. What is debt? Debt is when you're borrowing from the future. So it goes against the natural cycle of man in that if you want to save for the future, like if you're a farmer, you don't eat everything. You need all your seed. You have to save something to keep going. And when you suck all the wealth from the future, you're just destroying future generations with your current greed. At least that's the way I look at it. All right, let's open this thing up. We've got Jeff up here. We haven't heard from him yet. Let's hear, let's hear some. You have any thoughts on this? Mr. Jeff Ross, Dr. Jeff, no. I don't know if you can hear me or not. You know, a topic I would like to, to bring up, Alex, is accepting Bitcoin as payment for entrepreneurs is something that I'm looking into myself. So from my understanding, if I'm the reason why most of these companies are just accepting and then instantly converting it into fiat is because when you actually have a, um, when you accept the Bitcoin, I, I think that you have to declare a profit on whatever your margin is. You can't just, you can't just keep it on your balance sheet, unfortunately, which is what I would like to do. I would like to be able to allocate part of the company and by, by accepting payment in Bitcoin. And I think that that should be like a really, uh, something that Bitcoiners should focus on is, is talking to corporations and talking to big companies about being able to accept it. And then what are the tax obligations 
to accept Bitcoin on your balance sheet if you want to have self-custody of it and ver verify it with your own node with that company. Um, I wish there was more information on that uh, personally. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's an evolving, it's an evolving thing. That's I know that's a concern for a lot of people. I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, there's two trains, there's kind of two schools of thought there. One is like the way you're thinking about it, and the other is the way some others are thinking about it, where it's just like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's it's so funny because for me, it's making a sale in my business is easy. Like all these different things that you do with the business that are supposed supposed to be hard are easy. The hardest part is getting the money in the account by using fiat gateways. With a wire transfer, they're taking literally they take a thirty-five dollar fee for a wire transfer, then a fifteen dollar fee for incoming. So they're making a fifty dollar cut on wire transfers in every single time someone sends a wire transfer. Uh, with Zelle, they have limits to around I think two thousand to twenty-five hundred, and not all banks accept Zelle. That's their little new thing, but there's always some sort of cap, always some sort of limitation on it. I it, it's hilarious to me that we're talking on supercomputers in our pockets with earbuds in our ear that we can tap twice and call anybody in the world on. But we can't figure out payment gateways. It leads me to believe that they're making this, they're doing this on purpose to make it hard to trend, to move money around. Uh, I mean, if you it really, when it comes down to Venmo, Cash App, all these different things for a business, I'll, I'll say like, for example, if you're running a business like mine where it's a thin margin. So if you're on a one, 2% margin, and you're moving millions a year, you make good money, but you can't afford to pay PayPal 3.5% for their goods and services fee. You can't afford to pay uh, a credit card processor 2%, 3% or whatever it is that they're charging. Uh, but then again, all the fees. Yeah, these, are all of, these, are all of, these are all of the things that Bitcoin is here to solve. Exactly. You know? so it's that, just that a function of the first question. So, so the first question the, is how do we the rails is not a problem. The rails is not a problem. I think the ambiguity or the, the you know, where it's unclear is how the next treatment is supposed to be. But we're coming up towards the end of the show that we're going to have to save that topic for another one. Um, we've just got a couple more minutes here with Joe and Mitchell. If anybody has any questions for them, uh, let's hear it. If you're in the telegram group, you want to ask a question, you can as well. T.me forward slash cafe Bitcoin club. And then, uh, we'll give these guys a couple minutes to make some closing comments as we wrap up here. Is there any subjects that we failed to hit that you wanted to talk about either Joe or Mitchell? Uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, um, Arsh, and I can't remember the other girl's name, I'm sorry, but the, the people you had on earlier and, and young people being in Bitcoin, it, it got me to look at our, our Blockware channel's YouTube demographics. The, the 18 to 24-year-old is like our lowest category, and, and it's curious to me that, you know, the young people aren't getting into Bitcoin as much as, as you know, older people are, and I think what they're doing is, is great, you know, educating the young people. I'm only 22 myself, so I try to, I try to orange pill my friends as best I can. And some of them are, are willing to listen and others, I, I understand, I guess they just, they're, they think it's too serious. They, they're not really into like the whole money thing. They think because they're young, like they, it's just not, not worth their effort. They'd rather go drink and watch TikTok or whatever. So I, trying to get yeah. more young people into Bitcoin. Is they're not ready for adulting yet. Yeah. As life gets harder, they'll, they'll get more along, along the line of adulting. It's, it's weird how that works. There's kind of this, this effect where. As, as things get much more difficult, you tend to take it more seriously. Uh, Joe, anything? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, kind of on the same topic, Bitcoin is this technology that demands personal responsibility. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the world may not be ready to take on uh, or accept personal responsibility. Um, but um, as far as Bitcoin and, and, and the market, um, I expect, you know, Bitcoin to continue to be volatile. I think 
people should be conservative. Like, like what Greg Foss is men- mentioning. I, I don't honestly don't think it's a great idea to be all in on Bitcoin. I think it's important to have a diversified portfolio that's either with no leverage or very little leverage. And I think if you can do that, you're going to you know survive these you know crazy wicks in the market that you know have been occurring for you know the past ten plus years. And I think you know the next Bitcoin parabolic bull run, you'll still be alive and you'll be around to benefit from it. I agree. And I, I, I think your, uh, your exposure should just vary based on, you know, your risk profile and your age. Like right now I'm, I'm all in on Bitcoin. Like I I've got nothing to lose. I'm only 22. Like I don't have a lot of wealth, but you know, if you're, if you're a boomer getting ready to retire, you don't know how long this, this hyper Bitcoinization thing is going to take to play out. So definitely a, a lower allocation for, for older people is the way to go. What, what do you think that it, You cut out, Peter. Start. Yeah, I know this. This the, the new i the new Mac um, Ventura likes to connect and disconnect to my phone just randomly. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, <clears throat> my question is: You were talking about not being not being too um, uh, tied to leveraged uh, investments, and what do you think the leverage is on the U.S. dollar? I'm just you know a cash position because that's a. I'm just curious what you think. Is that just straight inflation or? What do you think the leverage is there? What do you mean by that question? Well, if if I'm if I am uh, if I'm invested uh, in in stocks, in Bitcoin, in gold, in property, you know, all these things have their have their level of risk, which is what I was assuming um, the the leveraged instruments uh, part of that. Uh, part of that comment was. And so it made me think, well, if a large portion of my, of my wealth is in cash and in Bitcoin, um, then what is the, what is the leverage, you know, that I'm looking at with cash? Cause I don't usually think about it in terms like that. What I think about in terms of cash is, well, you know, I'm, I'm losing X amount per, per year based on, uh, an inflation. Yeah. So by leverage, I mainly meant you know, borrowing dollars to buy more Bitcoin, like you see, like the, you know, the famous like BitMEX um, or FTX or whoever, wherever you can do all this leverage trading from. I don't like the idea of Bitcoiners, you know, going even like 2x long Bitcoin because it basically creates, it, it forces you to be a potential forced seller at, you know, $10,000 per Bitcoin when in reality, you know, you need to be the hodler of last resort there. You need to have assets to where if Bitcoin does wick down to that level, you can accumulate more. You don't want to be the one that's forced selling at 10K when you don't have a job anymore and you need to you know, put food on the table. I think you should be you know, diversified to a point where, hey, if Bitcoin does go down to 10K, you're going to be one of the buyers of last resort. And you're going to put the bottom in and then you're going to be able to ride it all the way back up to the top. All right, that's pretty much it for the show today. Uh, let's let you guys make any closing comments you want, anything you want to plug, uh, and then we will move to wrap. I think that's it. Uh, I know, Alex, you mentioned earlier, we we did interview Corey Clipstein on the Blocker Intelligence podcast. So go check that out on you know YouTube, Spotify, or Apple. It's a great conversation. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jacob, the whole Swan team, everybody for having us on. I, I appreciate it. It's a good time. You bet. It's great having you guys. 
Uh, all right. That's a wrap. I've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. You prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the space to just chill, talk about what's going on. This is also a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show, you can catch it there. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show, my crew, and Shane Sats for Life, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know about Swan, shoot me a DM, or you shoot Terrence a DM. He's up here, too. I'm happy to help you. We're both happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers, Joe, Mitchell, everybody who comes up here on the regular and shares your time to teach people about this bright orange feature, future. Excuse me. <laughs> this is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out. Love all of you guys. Everybody go have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>